Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good to see you. It really is good to see you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, um, I, I, I had my book upside down here. I don't know what I'm, don't know what I'm doing here. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. And I, again, we, Kathy and I want to thank you uh, for your graciousness. Thank the, the elders that the Lord would put it in their heart to, to give us that time away and that you are such a gracious people to have allowed that and uh, so many expressions. There's Jerry Zapata. Hi, Jerry. This is Pastor Jerry Zapata. He's a dear. Adrian, you're back. What are you doing here? I am sorry. I'm kind of distracted right now. Okay. What are we doing here today? No. Oh, my goodness. This is, this is fun. Hi, Jerry. Love you, brother. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, if you have your Bibles today, open them to uh, Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be. I want to say, again, thank you. There's no way for me to say thank you enough for the time away um, got to spend lots of mornings, alone time with the Lord, and then Kathy and I just got to be together, a lot of just uninterrupted uh, fellowship with the Lord and, and with one another, and we just, we, we thank you that you are gracious people that blessed us with that. Um, I do want to say happy Independence Day to you. Um, I, uh, yeah, praise God that we, um, our nation, you know, back in 1776, July the 4th, declared. Now, uh, history was not necessarily my strongest subject, but I did pretty good in it. And I, I happen to know that even though that is the day we celebrate, the, the, the signing didn't actually take place later in August, and um, a lot of things didn't happen. Uh, the, what I'll call the freedom of our nation from the oppression of the British Empire at that time didn't come till much later, probably even until what I would think of until after the, the War of 1812 ended and those treaties uh, were signed. But I want us to look today at another declaration of independence that was given. Uh, it was not given, uh, written by human hands as our document was for our nation. Uh, it was a declaration of independence that God made. And so I'm going to do something, what I don't normally do. I normally read from ESV. But uh, this morning I want to read um, from uh, the New Living Translation. So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you would, open them to, uh, to Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to be reading, uh, again, New Living Translation today. Uh, God's Word says this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God, don't you love that? So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, 
Here's the declaration. God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Pray pray with me. Father, I pray this morning that your word would accomplish all that your heart, God, your mind, God, intends for your word to accomplish. Lord, I trust your word that tells us that your word never returns void so that where it is proclaimed or spoken or read, there is always a return, God. I come today trusting your word to return greatly into the hearts of your people. Not my words, God, but yours. So bless our time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I said that uh, though our declaration of independence was made on the 4th of July in 1776, uh, it wouldn't be till much battles and fighting later that our freedom would be, would be won. It was hard-fought freedom. And many of you know uh, the story of uh, a particular battle that came really in the War of 1812. Uh, you're familiar with a, a, a pivotal player and an event that means much to our, our nation uh, even today, uh, the Battle of Baltimore. And what took place in the harbor uh, in 1814 uh, because of a young man named Francis Scott Key. Uh, I think most of you probably have, may remember this from your, your history, but he was a young lawyer, uh, about 35 years old, I, I read recently, and he had gone, taken a, an American vessel, had sailed into the Chesapeake Bay to the British flagship that was basically running a blockade. And they, had, they were making plans to attack Baltimore. And Key went to try to secure the freedom of, a, of an elderly doctor who had been a family friend, uh, who had been taken captive. He, had, he was a non-combatant, uh, but he had been taken captive when the British burned Washington, D.C. And so that's what Key was doing out in the harbor that day. And so they, he, he successfully got uh, the doctor's freedom, but they would not let them go back uh, into Baltimore. Instead, they allowed them to go back to the American vessel that they sailed into the harbor on, but they had to remain anchored there with threat of being blown up uh, if they moved. So it's from there that Francis Scott Key saw the attack of uh, Fort McHenry. And it's, it's there that he witnessed this, this barrage. And historians tell us that it lasted for about 25 hours. It was just this incredible attack. Uh, Francis Scott Key worded later on, made this statement. It seemed as though Mother Earth had opened up and was vomiting shot and shell in a sheet of fire and brimstone. It was, it was a horrific bombardment. Uh, he probably had never seen anything quite like it. And those hours, he said, passed slowly. But then you know the story that in dawn's early light, what he saw was the American flag still flying. And that said something to him. That spoke to him of victory 
It gave him hope because he was convinced the British were going to win that battle. He thought all hope was lost. But when he saw that flag flying that next morning, he knew that the Americans had won. And it really was a catalytic event in the Americans winning the war uh, of 1812. Now, depending on which historians you read will tell you, you know, who, who won what uh, in, in that fight. But there is a, this greater declaration that God has made. And there is a flag, I think, flying over Romans 8. And many of you have probably heard uh, theologians have said this, people far wiser than I have said this, uh, so maybe I'm just kind of jumping on the bandwagon, I don't know. But if I only had one chapter of the Bible with which to present the full gospel, the whole gospel message, it would be Romans chapter 8. That's, that's just me. Now, you may have another one. Um, I'm not diminishing the rest of God's word, but Romans chapter 8 is just it, it's powerful. And just as there was this great battle that took place and the American flag was seen and you know, our national anthem flows out of that, there is within the experience of the Christian faith a great battle that is always raging. And two great armies in conflict, and it's this. The army of God's people in our battle against the army of sin. There's this just constant conflict that goes on. Now, I'm, I will say this, and I'm speaking probably more of myself than I am any of you. Truthfully, we as God's people, we don't always fight very well. Far too often, it seems like we yield to that enemy. We, we, we give in to, to that enemy. But one of the things that I, I'm hoping that you walk away with today is that even as the battle rages, we've been promised a victory by the commander of angel armies, by the Lord God Almighty, our Father in heaven. And he has raised this, this banner verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And I want you to read it aloud with me. We're going to read it out of the English Standard Version this time. It's going to come up on the screen. But I want you to read this verse aloud with me. We're going to do it slowly. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, that is a remarkable declaration. That is a remarkable banner that God waves over that great chapter of Romans 18. And, and what I hope you do today is that you will rejoice in the truth of, of that triumph, that you'll, be, you know, you'll see that banner of Romans 8.1 waving, and it'll, it'll embolden you. It'll, it'll cause your resolve to continue in your own personal battle against sin. Because there's no condemnation for Christians in conflict. There's no condemnation for those of us who are frustrated with our own failures. And friends, this is the only thing that will truly strengthen you in your fight, is knowing that there's no condemnation, that the grace of God is, is sufficient. See, this verse was not given to somehow flippantly set us free to sin, but to set us free from sin, to fuel our, our, our fight. And again, Romans 8, one of the richest chapters in the Bible. And so what Paul is doing here is he's answering kind of a question. What can God 
And what is God doing for sinners, you know, who have become saints but are still in this battle, this, this battle with our, our, our flesh and against sin? Those of us who want to live for the Lord but sometimes feel like most every day we betray him some way. And our, our hearts, I think, cry out like the Apostle Paul did. You remember the, the next to the last verse in Romans chapter 7? If you haven't read Romans chapter 7, you need to go back and do that. Um, we're not going to do it today, but you need to go back and do that soon. Paul gets to the end of Romans chapter 7, and the next to the last thing he says is, wretched man that I am. He's summarizing, basically verses 14 through 24, he's summarizing, he just says, I, I'm just a wretched man. I, I'm, just, I'm just a wretched man. That's the truth about me. Now, this is the great apostle Paul. And then he launches into chapter 8. Now, I'm just going to say this. I love this book. I thank God that they divided it in chapters and verses so I could find them, you know. Uh, Turn to so-and-so. We could say that. But there are some places that I believe with my whole heart that Scripture should not have been divided up. And Romans chapter 7 and 8, that's one of the places for me. I just don't believe that those should have been separated as, as different chapters. Paul says this amazing thing within the framework of the context of chapter 7, what God provides for believers. Now, he's been almost hinting at it, if you would, stating it all throughout his letter to the Romans. Let me remind you of some of those passages. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the apostle writes these words, where sin increased, what abounded more? Grace. God's grace abounded even more. In, in verse 14 of chapter 6, it says, For sin will have what? No dominion. It will not have rule over you. It won't be your ruler since you're not under law but under grace. And then in chapter 7, verse 6, he said, We've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old ways of the written code. We're not under that law. And then finally, Paul ends the seventh chapter by saying this thanks be to God through Jesus Christ thanks be to God through Jesus thanks be to God through Jesus Christ but how does this how does this banner if you would this this flag that we need to look to of Romans chapter 8 verse 1 how does it actually work into our lives those of us who struggle and fail and fail again some more in our pursuit of 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 following Jesus Again, look at Romans 8, verse 1. It says, there is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're somebody who will write in your Bible, I know some people think, oh, no, you can do that. It's okay. If you're somebody who writes in your Bible, I would encourage you to circle that word now. Just circle that, that word now. Because what, what Paul is helping us understand is this, not, this isn't something that's just for next week or next year, you know, in the next life to come. It's, it's a now thing. Right now. No matter what you're facing, no matter how your conflict is going, no matter whether you're failing or, or, or straying or whatever. There's no condemnation from God for you now. And I don't know about you, but that's like, that's like great news to me. It's incredible news to me. But here's the truth. Sometimes that's hard to believe for me. Do you find it sometimes that's hard to believe for you? 
It's just hard for us to, to think that God could have no condemnation to ourselves. I remember listening to a message that Pastor Tim Keller was preaching, talking about how, you know, the, the need that we have to proclaim the good news, the gospel. Um, but we, we have that same need for ourselves, that we must continue to apply to preach this message to ourselves. He went on to say that too often we think that it was just, the gospel was just about getting us into the kingdom of God, getting us saved. And then we, we often live about the gospel and act about the gospel as if it doesn't have any purpose for, for me today. Almost like the gospel exists so I can get my foot in the door. You know, and then, that, that, then I'm kind of done with the gospel. Folks, that's not true. God's intent is that we would continue to, 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 to find our strength in the gospel message. That there's no condemnation. No condemnation. Paul is wanting us to see that one of the greatest ways that you and I will progress in our spiritual lives is to every day back up into the gospel. We got, we, got to, we got to take a step back every day into the gospel. We've got to let our lives be saturated with the gospel. So how do those of us who feel those messages of condemnation apply this scripture? How do we get honest with ourselves about this? And when we feel like maybe we failed the test that God has sent our way, you know, and, and, and think that God looks at us as failures, how do we press on into this? And, and I want to say this, if you're somebody who constantly thinks of yourself as a failure in the sight of God, because you're having that thought, more than likely, you're probably more victorious than you know. Because that bothers you, you're probably having more victories than you know. It's people who that doesn't bother that concern me. You know, if, if, you're, if you see that. But here's the thing that I know for certain, that that. You cannot be a disappointment to God. You cannot be a disappointment to God if you're in Christ because there's no condemnation. God is not disappointed in you if you are in Christ. More than likely what's happening is you're disappointed with yourself. You're disappointed with a, a, a pattern that, that maybe exists. Maybe the standards that you have set for yourselves, you're not where you thought you should be at this point in, in your life. So how do we work all this together? How do we fit this together? Well, the first thing that you and I have to do is we've got to accept the truth of what God says over any other truth. So when God's word says he flies this banner over our lives, there's no condemnation. It truly means nothing can separate you from his love. That there's not going to be any kind of, of rejection. No matter how many times you repeat the same thing. And additionally, we need to remember that when testing comes, we need to remember about God that testing is not for our destruction. It's not to destroy us, it's to show us. It's to show us our weak spots, to show us those places where, where we struggle. Here's the, here's the really cool thing about life in the economy of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God's economy, our failings are a backdoor path to success. When God points them out and we step into them and we repent and we turn back to God, they lead to spiritual growth and success. You know, 
One of the other things that I would encourage you to do as you, you think about this idea of there's no condemnation is, is to maybe walk away from constantly trying to spiritually judge yourself. You know why? Because on your very best day, on that day when you think you are super sanctified and you got your big super, you know, big super Christian C on your chest and you're, you know, you, you feel good about yourself, truth is you're not as good as you think you are, just in your own, in your own works. And on the other side of that, when you, when you feel beaten down and miserable in the sight of God, you're not as bad as you think you are. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. God sees you differently. And so we need to walk away from that kind of self-rating game that gets our, our lives get caught up in and just decide, I'm not going to rate myself today, God. I'm just going to try to live faithfully. I'm just going to try to be faithful today. One more thought on this. If you read this book and you read the stories of those who tried to pursue life in Christ and fellowship with him, one of the things you're going to learn about that life, that way of life is, it is a mixture of successes and failures. It's a mixture. If you want to call them the heroes of God's word, uh, heroes of our faith, it's, it's, a, it's this battle back and forth of successes and, and failures. And our failures are to teach us humility, to draw us back to God, to say, God, the truth is I am dependent on you. I may be independent from sin's grip, but I am dependent on you. So we need Romans 8 flying over our lives, Romans 8, 1 flying over our lives, even in our battles so that we remember. We, we need to put this to memory, to repeat it every day, to preach it to ourselves, because it really is the pathway for progression in spiritual growth, to remember that God has, he's not condemning you. When you read Romans chapter 8, verse 1, do you find it easy to believe for other people but hard to believe for yourself? You know, it's like it's easy for me to believe that for you, but it's harder to believe that for me because the enemy is whispering. He's whispering that message that God doesn't like you. God's disappointed in you. God's angry with you. That's a lie. And so how do we battle that? How do we How do we? Look at that great banner over our lives. There's no condemnation. Well, I want us to look at what I would think of as two great biblical truths related to this and then a couple of applications to kind of close it out. The first of those big truths, and this really steps back into Romans 7, the context of what Paul says in Romans 8.1, and it's this truth. Following Jesus is not for wimps. Following Jesus is not for wimps because the Christian life is one of conflict. There's going to be this, this conflict. That, that sentence is kind of my summary. If you want to go back and read today, maybe Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, that would be my, my brief summary of, of that tension that Paul plays out. You, you remember this. Paul, Paul said a couple of things that Paul said in Romans chapter 7 that just create this great display of the tension. Paul said this about himself. He said, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody else out there felt like that? 
about your own life. Romans verse 18, a few verses later says, I have the desire, this is Paul now, I have the desire to do what is right, but not what? The ability to carry it out. We all understand that. Now, now think about this. Just think about your life. Have you ever gotten up and, you know, you've kind of woken up and, and it's one of those, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it mornings. You know, you're just, you're in the game to win it, baby. And so you start thinking, okay, I'm going to make a list of things I'm going to accomplish for the Lord today. And so you start on your list and you get number one halfway done. You get number two and it's, uh, it was a harder than you thought it was going to be. You know, you completely blow number three. You just fail miserably at it. You know, you get to four and five at the end of the day and you didn't even, you didn't even get to them because you were so miserable by what happened to number three. So, uh, another way to think of it, have you ever maybe gotten up in the morning on one of those this is the Lord's day kind of mornings and, and you thought, okay, I am not, I'm not going to get angry today. And on your way to work because you drive on Dorchester Road, or Ladson Road, you know, that's out the window before you make it to work. And, or, and, and you had decided also, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about anybody. And, and by, by 1030 that morning, you have sliced and diced seven people. Just shredded them. You know, or maybe you said, I'm not going to lust today. And by 1.30, that was a train wreck. You know, th- that's, that's, the, that's the battle that's the conflict that rages that Paul writes about in Romans 7. There is, this, there is this conflict. Some of you say, that was my week last week. You know, that's what last week was like. Now, I personally believe that Romans chapter 7 was Paul's autobiography. Now, I've, I've read some theologians who disagree with that, and that's okay. Um, I, I understand where they're coming from. But I just, I, I don't believe that, that, that what Paul is describing there is not a part of what is the normal Christian experience. Now, thank God that's not the whole story. But it's part of the story that we need to be honest and real about. Because if we're not, we will never live under that banner, under that flag that there's no condemnation. Because we won't think we need it. You know, we, we, we need to be real as Paul is real with our struggles. He's just being honest here. He's saying even though he was an apostle, uh, an apostle, he felt the struggle. He felt the tension. So Romans 7 describes the conflict in vivid detail. And that's, that's why Paul gets to the end of his description of himself and says, I'm just a wretched man. In verse 24, I'm just a wretched man. That's the truth about me. Apart from Christ, I'm just, I'm just a wretched man. And I don't think he's just talking about himself because he was writing to a group of people and he was saying, this is your experience as well. And see, we struggle in many different ways. We, we struggle in a lot of similar ways, but we struggle in, in different ways. And in that struggle, God wants us to know that there's no condemnation. You know, we, we, we struggle in all kinds of ways. We, we struggle between what we know is right and, and doing it. We struggle between what we know God wants us to do and, and, and struggling to think, God, would you just let me alone? We, we struggle in those ways. And we need to be real about that and then bring that to God. 
Now, it's interesting to me that so often Christian people don't want to hear about this part of the Christian life. We just want to talk about victory, baby. Woo! But there's no victory without struggle. You got, you got to be real about the struggle. You know, some people just wish there was, there was no conflict, but we got to talk about that. See, any, anybody who would tell you that those things don't exist in the Christian life, I believe, one, they've deceived themselves or been deceived by someone else. And secondly, I think they have a non-biblical view of the Christian life. That they just don't have a biblical view. See, Paul was pulled in this way. And I really, I really don't think for a moment that Romans 7 is Paul's only Christian experience. He talks about having incredible experiences with the Lord, of being alone with the Lord, of, of experiencing the blessing of a presence even in, in a... In a in a, in a heavenly realm. Paul talks about that kind of delight in, in, in Jesus. But he is simply pointing to the truth that this is part of the life for those who would follow Jesus. There are going to be times of internal conflict so that we would not get discouraged. Have you ever, have you ever met somebody who has kind of walked away from the faith? You ever met somebody that got so discouraged and here's what happened oftentimes. Somehow they got sold a Christianity that was conflict-free. Somewhere along the way, they were told, you come to Jesus, all your problems will be solved. You'll never have struggles in your marriage. Your, your finances will always be taken care of completely. All your dreams will come true. And then this conflict hits. This life hits. This, this struggle hits. And they're blindsided by it, so they, they give up. They walk away from Jesus. Friends, Paul is saying this conflict is part of the normal Christian life. You need to know it. And you need to know how to live in the midst of it and have the strength of the gospel flow through you there. So the great truth is this is a life of conflict. It's not for whims. A second great truth here that I see in Romans 8, 1 especially is our life of conflict, though we're in this conflict, we will never receive a condemning message from God. Even though you're in this conflict, even though you may be failing in the conflict you're in right now, you will never get condemning messages from God. Here's the beauty of the kingdom of God. It is a no-condemning nation. No condemnation, no condemning nation. It's the kingdom of God, life in his, in his kingdom. Read Romans 8, 1 again. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. And I believe that everything Paul says in the rest of chapter 18 is just a, a, a creative way of restating the same thing over and over again. I think he's just cycling through over and over again. There's no condemnation in God. There's no condemnation in God. No, no condemnation for you. He used different words, but he was saying the same thing. Now, one interesting thing about, um, about this particular verse, if you, if you ever, you know, seek to do word studies in Scripture, maybe go back to the original language and study a verse, when you come to this verse, one of the things that you'll find interesting is the word order is almost always different, but when you read our English text that we did today, the word no is the fifth word. In the, in the Greek version that Paul is believed to have penned, it was translated out. But the Greek version, the word no is the first word. And one of the things New Testament writers would do when they were kind of changing 
kind of to a new focus. And there's a, there's a pretty significant change from the end of Romans chapter 7 to the beginning of Romans chapter 8. He was changing something, and what Paul used, he used that very first word because that was the emphasis word. No. Nada. Zero. Zilch. There's, there's no condemnation for those who are in, in Christ Jesus. There, there, there's just none. And, and Paul wanted you to get that. He wanted me to get that, that that's just the truth. You know, we could translate this verse that way. There's no there's, there's no conflict whatsoever for those who follow the Lord Jesus. Now, let me kind of quickly point out what Paul's not saying here. One of the things Paul is not saying here is that, therefore, now there is no cause for condemnation. Because when, when, when God looks at my life, just not, not my life in Christ, but if he were to just look at my life, for what it's worth, there'd be great cause for condemnation. And the same is true with you. If, if he looked at your life apart from Jesus, there would be great cause for condemnation. So he's not talking uh, about that. Some days, we're, some of us are just barely making it. Paul's not saying there's no cause, but Paul's saying there's no condemnation. No, no condemnation. For those who, Christians who fail, for those Christians who fall on their faces, for those Christians who stray, he's saying, no condemnation. And we need to, to, we need to grab hold of that. We need to wrap ourselves in that reality because it is the strength that allows us to press on. There's no condemnation. That's who your, your father is. So you can struggle and not be condemned. You can fail and not be condemned. You can... You can depart and, and not be condemned. That's who Jesus is. And this is what Paul is trying to get across to us in that moment. And so that means a few things. It means that you will never be rejected by God for a behavior. He will never reject you because of something you do, because of a failing or a faltering. He will never reject you. Most of us in here are familiar with the Jesus' story, his parable, of the prodigal son found in Luke 15. You remember that story. This, this, and Jesus was trying to teach us what God the Father's like there. He tells this story of this young man who has everything, all the privileges that you could imagine. And his dad loves him and lavishes on him, and this, this young man is doesn't want to live that way anymore under his father's direction. And so he, he goes to his dad and says, I, I want my inheritance now, which was, you know, dis very disrespectful. And so his dad gives it to him. And the Bible says he wanders away from home and he squanders everything. Everything that his father had earned, he, he squandered. He ends up feeding pigs. Worst job ever. But that's what he ends up doing. And... There's this moment in time where he realizes how dumb he's been. His moment of repentance, if you would. And he, he thinks, I need to go back to my father. And I just need to speak the truth about what I've done to my father. And the Bible tells us something interesting about what's going on with the father. Where is the father when the son begins making his way home? Is his father just running his business? Forgotten about that young man? The Bible tells us that he's looking down that road where that young man went. He's looking down that road. And when the father spots this young man, what does he do? 
Does he sit there and says, "Uh uh-huh, can't wait for him to get down here so I can tell him a thing or two. Point out his failings. Condemn him for his actions. Is that what the daddy does? No, ma'am. That is not what he does. That father, in Jesus' story of who God your father is, runs. He runs to that boy. He throws his arms around him. He embraces him. He says, find the best best cow out in the field. We're going to party. Because my son, my wayward son, my squandering son is home. And this is great. And he celebrates. See, that's what no condemnation looks like from God. That's what it means to have no condemnation from the Father. And so that means if you've squandered and you've wandered, you know, there are a lot of times when people wander away from the church, wander away from their pursuit of faith. And you know one of the reasons it's hard for them to come back? Fear of condemnation. They're afraid that God's going to condemn them. They're afraid that we're going to condemn them. But God's kingdom is a non-condemning nation. So what, what do we do? What do we do when we fail? When we keep making the same dumb mistake over and over again, the, the same sin over and over again, what do we do? Well, the Bible says we repent. We look at what God points out. We, we, we recognize it. We receive it not as a condemning message, but as a message to repent, to draw near to God, to seek his help, his power. We repent in, to, to, to people if we need to, if we've harmed them. We, we move forward, not thinking that we're th- this failure. See, friends, you know this. Sin in your life can disrupt your fellowship with God. But it cannot touch. Anybody remember MC Hammer? No, nah, can't touch this. I'm not going to dance. Don't worry. Um, hadn't been gone that long. Um, you can't, it can't touch your relationship. It can disrupt your fellowship, but it will never touch your relationship. No, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And friends, that's hard for us to believe because there are so many condemning messages in this world. How many of you remember that, that beautiful hymn, Jesus Paid It All? Anybody remember that hymn? Jesus Paid It All. Did, did anybody lo- still love that hymn like me? Just love that hymn? You know, so many of us love that hymn, but few people believe that hymn. We keep thinking we got to pay. We, we keep thinking we got to pay that somehow we can pay, and we, and we can't pay. Jesus paid that, that great price. He, he paid that great price. We can't pay. We can't, we can't fix our, our, our struggles. There, there's no way we can do that. Have you ever been to a t-ball game? How many of you have ever been to a t-ball game? Those little kids running around out there, you know, on the field, just... Not where there's in, in any what you would consider the position they're supposed to be in. And one of the things that's different about coaching t-ball than most of the other age groups is the coaches are mostly on the field. You know, a lot of times as they age up, coaches stay where? They, they stay, you know, back in the, in the dugout kind of thing. But they, they, they're not on the field. Well, in t-ball, coaches are usually on the field. 
And, you know, they, you can see a coach, he'll, he'll set this kid up. Batters got up there, said, come here and stand right here. And when that ball comes, you do, do this. And, and the ball is hit, and it comes right to that kid, and it rolls right through his legs. And he's embarrassed. He didn't move. He didn't, you know, he didn't drop to a knee and try to get a glove down or anything like that. He just... And then what happens? He starts crying because he's realized he's failed in front of everybody. You know what a good t-ball coach does? A good t-ball coach grabs that kid and says, man, great try. The kid didn't move. You know, he didn't drop it. But the coach said, great try. You're going to get it next time. Go run after that ball. You know what that little face will do? That little face will just light up. Feels like, you know, he's, he's got the Golden Glove Award now or something like that. You know, he's just so excited, and he runs after that ball. That's, that's what God is like when you fail. When things just kind of pass through you that shouldn't. God, God is just like that. There's no condemnation from your Father in heaven. There, there's just none. But so many, so many Christ followers walk around with this burden of guilt because of their battle over sin, believing that they're being condemned by God. And so they, God doesn't reject them. They reject themselves from his presence. They pull back. He doesn't do that. See, his thoughts towards his struggling kids, even when he's disciplining them, is there's no condemnation. I want to free you. I want to set you free. There's no condemnation. And the reason that that's true is because Jesus really did pay it all. He really did pay it all. That's what his dying on the cross was about. So that there would be no condemnation. That's where your condemnation took place if you were in Jesus. That's where judgment fell. Your judgment fell that day on the cross of Christ if you're in Christ. That condemnation Jesus took on himself so that God could make that great declaration of our independence from the bondage of sin. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what you and I have to do is decide. we we got to choose. Are we going to listen to God? Believe what he said or believe that voice in our, in our head. Satan hates you, and he's going to keep whispering, God doesn't like you. God's ticked off at you. God is condemning you. But it's a lie. It's not the truth about God. God declared. You read it with me a moment ago. God declared that there's power over sin for you. And we need to let that banner wave over us. Now, I want to give you kind of three quick things to think about and do to help you let that banner of that truth of Romans 8.1 wave over you. Here's the first one. You can know, K-N-O-W, you can know with certainty, you can know certainly that if you're in Christ, you're eternally secure. You're eternally secure. You cannot lose your salvation because... There's no condemnation. You can't lose your salvation for those who are in Christ. And this reminds us of this great truth about who God is. If God ever demands something from his children, you know what he always does? He always supplies it. God demanded a sinless sacrifice for the penalty of sin. 
and God provided Jesus because we couldn't be a sinless sacrifice. God always provides what he demands from us, and that's why there's no condemnation. That's the only thing that will set us free is to keep that wrapped up in our minds and our hearts. Second application is this. You can live differently because you're internally free. You are, you are free, and I am free from captivity that sin had us enslaved to. We, we have been set free from that. But so often we think that God has us on some performance, you know, enhancement training kind of thing. And, and that, you know, in order to get to his grace, we got to perform. we gotta, we got to excel. We've got to succeed. But his gift of grace is free. It's a gift. No condemnation. In one of his great messages uh, that Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached uh, on the book of Romans, specifically on this idea of condemnation, he said something, and I just want to read it to you. It's just, just an incredible statement. He said this, Forgiving love is a main instrument in transforming men from rebels into friends. He says, you can preach the demands of the law all you like, and you can tell men that they must merit their salvation, and you will only make them worse and worse. But go and proclaim the dying love of Jesus. Tell them that the free grace reigns and that undeserved mercy saves the sinner through faith in Christ. And in the moment that the person believes that, there is no condemnation for him. The moment he believes that, you'll see a miracle. The moment that someone believes that, you'll see a miracle. The moment that those 10 young people this week came to the place and say, I believe that. Friends, that was a miracle happening. That was, that was the power of God being released into their, their hearts and minds. And so God pulls us that way so that we understand that, you know, this is who who we are in Christ. And that leads to what I would call the third application today, and it's this. You can live peacefully. You can live filled with peace in Christ because you're positionally perfect. You're positionally perfect. Your your position in God's sight is perfect because every time God looks at you, who he sees is Jesus. God credited your account with everything that is true about his son. So your position in God's eyes is when he sees you as he sees you through Jesus, his beloved, only begotten son. So who are those that aren't condemned? Those who are in Christ. Friends, when it, when it, comes, to, when it comes to life, when it comes to salvation, the Bible says there are there's only two positions. There's the position of being in Christ and there's the position of being outside of Christ. There's only two. Just two. And the question that we have to ask of ourselves is which position are we in? Are we in Christ or are we outside of Christ? There's a, a passage of scripture that many Baptists love. We love the story of the interaction in John chapter 3 between Jesus and Nicodemus. We love to say, you must be born again, and we must. But in that, same, in that same conversation, Jesus also said something else to Nicodemus. I want to read it to you. It's in John chapter 3, verse 18. 
Jesus said this, whoever believes in him is not condemned. There's, there's no condemnation for those who, who trust in Christ. But whoever do not, does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, if you're outside of a believing relationship, a personal relationship with Christ, the Bible says you're condemned. You're under condemnation. And so we need to, we need to examine our hearts and ask that question. Am I in the position in Christ? Or am I I'm not? Am I outside of that position? And then we need to think about those positions of people that we love. Are, people, are they in Christ or are they outside of that position? Because the Bible says if they are, they're condemned already. And God needs to stir our hearts to help them move to change positions. That we would dedicate our lives to do that. So the question starts is, where, what's your position right now? Are you, are you in Christ? Because if you are, there's no condemnation. No, no condemnation. But if you are not sure, I want to urge you with everything in me. Think deeply about this. And you know what the... You remember how the kids kind of started our time together? The Bible says if you seek him, you will what? You'll find him. If you seek him, you will find him. So I would urge you to seek that position in Jesus. And you will discover what I think of as the greatest liberation, declaration of independence ever. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just come in this moment giving thanks that you have made this great declaration for us. That we, we are independent from the power and penalty of sin. That it has no sway over us and the way that you want us to remember that is there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ, no matter how far we fall, no matter how far we stray, no matter how far we wander or what we squander, God, there's no condemnation. And Jesus, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. As Paul said, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank you. And we come in this moment, God, confessing that far too often we have allowed the liar, maybe our own flesh or the world to, to bring us into a life that is lived as if we're under condemnation. And so Father, I just pray right now for myself and my friends in this room that we will be a people living under your great declaration of our independence from the captivity of sin that there is no condemnation, that we will see that flying over us, that it will give us hope, that it will strengthen our resolve to stay in the fight against our own sin or against our own struggles, God. And we just come in this moment to give you thanks, celebrating your goodness, God, of who you are for having given that declaration, having proclaimed it so we can live in it, there's no condemnation. We receive that as we worship you now, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.